I have half a cup of water next to me, but... Well, let's be honest, who's going to touch that? I I hydrated before this, so at least there's that. Welcome back, guys, to the Red Rum and Red Wine podcast, the podcast where we talk about murder, mystery, and mishaps while being two of them ourselves. Mm-mm. Here's one. My name's Kristen. Hey, hey. Sarah here, your other mishap. Mm-mm. I'm just like, I fucking just want to dance. TikTok needs to not with me. I need to stop. I need rehab, I think. <laughs> just, just, just a little bit. Yeah, so Sarah's turn. Again, not redeeming myself with a lighthearted story. But honestly, who wants? Do we come here for lighthearted? No. No. I I think we come here to be depressed (laughs) and drunk. (laughs) I'm here to share the the world's horrors with you guys. And they're out there, man. Oh, man. Yeah, like one of the ones I have for a international case that I want to do. So what are we drinking today? We got alcohol involved. Heck yeah, it's a day recording here at Red Rum and Red Wine, and I am drinking a, a FCA IPA. It's from North Ooh. Carolina. Rolls off the tongue very nicely. Yeah. I have a green tea because my child got me fucking sick. Uh, But let's be honest, I'm probably not going to drink it because I already chugged half this White Claw that's on the side. And uh, yeah, it's honestly made me feel a little bit better. So do I regret it? No. Yeah. Will I have more? Probably. Yeah. Uh, Has my throat been sore the past day and a half? Yeah. Have I been drinking tea? No. I should be. Yeah. I mean, it was a really good idea. I put some honey in there, but um, it's like hot and it's a hot tea and I'm just like a, a, a cool White Claw from the fridge. Shout out just White sounds... Claw. Sponsor us, please. Come on. They're coming We're out just... with new exotic flavors. Oh, I've already had that blackberry yeah. one or whatever. That one's good. The others I can't, uh, I can't talk for. You know which one I haven't had good. in a long time? that I got in Florida when I was there for spring break last year is the rosé flavor. They have a rosé flavor? Yeah. And it has pink roses on the can. And so it's... White Claw? Yeah, and it obviously does not taste like rosé. It tastes like White Claw. But it just has a nice little taste to it. I have never heard of that and now I'm I need to have uh-huh. it. Now I need to buy one. Yeah. I wonder if Amazon sells it. Ooh. Do they deliver alcohol? You know, probably not. But Amazon is everything from A to Z. True. They alcohol is the first letter of the alphabet. I mean <laughs> gotta have it. <laughs> Hello. Let us know, Amazon. Let us know. We'll also sponsor you. I mean You'll sponsor anyone. us. Yeah, that <laughs> too. That one. Mm-hmm. That one. No, that half white claw didn't get me drunk. <laughs> so, what? What Sup? is my? Why is my mood dampening? I want to know what kind of. Do I need to be scared? Do I need to be angry? Do I need to be sad? Okay, so this story may hit home in a way. Uh, if we've ever dated or been with maybe a violent or um, scary person. My title for this one is Love is Blind. Are you coming at me, Loki, in this episode? (laughs) No, because I would never wish this upon anyone. And no, um, no, yeah, no, (laughs) no. It's a lesson learned for why, yeah, no, I, I can't, yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, so I will be scared because I, I, I fall into that category, of course. 
unfortunately. Let's do it. Let's do it. So uh, I got the idea for this case slash episode from watching an episode of A Wedding and a Murder on Hulu. Oh. Yeah. And um, don't think I've heard of that it's one. It's a fun little series, you know? A Wedding and a Murder, I <laughs> no, mean. A, a running theme, so. I always make the joke that a wedding is just a funeral, so <laughs> this show seems like it is right up my alley. <laughs> yeah. Um, so go check it out. Yeah, there's a, it's a nice little series. So for this one, we are in Saginaw, Michigan. I, oh, <laughs> sorry. I was, I was like, like, I in my Twitch glitch. Glitch in the Matrix. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm so sorry. Can I just talk real quick about mm-hmm. the thing about the glitch in the Matrix with the celebrities and all? All of the TikToks, you don't watch TikTok, all the TikToks are coming out right now showing, like, have you seen the one where Cardi B just glitches when she's doing an interview? She just, like, stops. And then, like, there's one where Eminem glitches, and then there's one where, like, Shaq glitches. And I'm like, oh, my God, these celebrities are selling their souls. Sorry, go on. (laughs) Okay, I'd love to read into that later for sure. Like, if you have any links, send them. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, maybe even, like, a drunk mystery topic for sure. That's a good one. Yeah, because I'd love these kinds of conspiracies but also like some of those people have done hardcore drugs and are probably twitching (laughs) yeah you know i looked at the eminem one and i'm like that just seems more like he's high but it's fine it's fine it's fine okay sorry sorry for the distraction i just had to throw that out there so we're in saginaw michigan (laughs) yes i keep wanting to say miss a chat to just what the fuck is that? Like Missouri and that's Massachusetts. Like not, that's not even close to Missouri. Oh, Massachusetts. Okay. I I would love to spend a day in your brain. Just like... Just a day. It's like a lava lamp sometimes. You know? <laughs> I think that's the best description I've ever <laughs> Okay, okay. Take me inside this lava lamp brain so, of yours. <laughs> I'm not crying because I'm sad. Okay, so if you're not familiar with Michigan or with Saginaw, which I wasn't, Saginaw, so you know how Michigan is in the shape of a mitt? I'm trying to even figure out where Michigan is on a map, to be honest. It's like northeast. It's in that little dip where... So anyways, it's in the shape of I'm a gonna mitt. I'm going to look at a map. And Saginaw mm-hmm. is like down here in the mitt. Okay. Just not that y'all, the, our listeners can see the mitt I'm making She's, with my hand, but Saginaw is located in in the area between oh. your thumb and your fingers, like in the bottom of your palm. Duh, it's by New York. I'm, in, I'm, I'm just making my, I'm really um, showing my dumbness on here. Well, okay. <clears throat> I even looked at it on a map earlier, but I didn't zoom out enough to see where it was in the U.S. I just saw where Saginaw was in Michigan, and uh, I, I just know that it's northeast because of the water north of it. Yeah. Whatever. That's more than I would have gotten, so props to you. I only passed geography because it was based on group work, okay? I love, I can't even tell you how I graduated high school, <laughs> honestly. I was never there. I literally had to go to truancy court. Uh <laughs> And I still I mean, passed. I was there, but mentally I was not. <laughs> I was literally a, in the, you know, an AB student. I was until I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Uh, yeah. So we're in the early 1970s. Terry Igaz was a young waitress at a place called The Scene. And this is where she met Gabriel Ferris. Mm -hmm. So this place called The Scene was a local bar hotspot for locals, college students, all of the above. And so when I say The Scene throughout the story, I'm not referring to like the crime scene uh, (laughs) or anything. (laughs) I just want to clarify that because I will mention it a few times. This bar place, you know, it was like a almost like a dance club as well. Yeah. Um was called or is called the scene. So this is where Terry Igaz meets Gabriel Ferris. 
Um, she worked there, but okay. I think she was just there hanging out with friends when she met him because she was just hanging out when suddenly someone put a fur coat on her from behind and mm-hmm. she turned to see who it was and it was Gabriel. So that's how they met. And, um, they apparently danced all night. So, like I said, a lot of the information on this I got from the episode on Hulu, and Terry speaks throughout that episode of her account on things. So, okay. Um, like she's the one who said, you know, they danced all night. So, it's from like a her account perspective. A lot of it is, yeah. So, Um, Terry described Gabriel as a trendsetter because he was the only one she knew that would wear fur coats in the summertime (laughs) because it was summer when they were because I I don't think that's trendsetting I think that's more logic (laughs) well and you'll find out why probably in a second he did that but um I don't know how far in between it was when they saw each other next I assume it wasn't too long, but the next time Mm -hmm. they did see each other was at the same place, the scene. Terry was hanging out, and Gabriel asked her if she wanted to wear his fur coat. And she was like, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because she described how it made her feel special. Like, it felt like he, like, was choosing her, you know. Yeah. I I get that. I get that. She was smitten, you know. So, Terry felt like her and Gabriel were meant to be. Because when they danced, it was like they had rehearsed it. It literally just, like, flowed. And she just described how sparks flew on the dance floor. I just can't wait to hear how you fuck it all up. (laughs) How this relationship gets all fucked up. Because I, yeah, as soon as I hear that, I'm like, okay, honey, sure. And I believe you, but. uh, Yeah. Bitter. Bitter. Bitter bitch. (laughs) Dot com. A few months after they met, Gabriel and Terry's relationship became more serious. He treated her like she was the most special woman ever, and Terry described just absolutely falling for Gabriel. Gabriel came from Rust Belt royalty, which uh, the Rust Belt is an area in the Midwest that got its name due to declining and rusted abandoned factories from <laughs> like before the 70s i think mm-hmm. that all happened yeah. i don't know probably like the industrial that's literally just what one of the sources meant or said and so i looked it up and so basically i think his family business came from some part of the rust belt because his parents owned a fur company called ferris bros furs ladies ready to wear fur. <laughs> Yeah. So he probably rocked that shit all the time, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. This was also before we uh, did not approve of the fur. So (laughs) shit was popping. So Gabriel came from a certain extent of privilege. Because of this, Terry was pretty intimidated when it came time to meet Gabriel's parents because of his, you know, uh, where he came from and their business and that he did come from some sort of privilege. She said that when they met, they were very nice to her, but also on that occasion, Gabriel and Terry broke the news to his parents that they were getting married. Uh, Oh. Yeah. So when they do that, Gabriel's mom tells Terry, good luck, you'll need it. (gasps) Oh, 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 mom, mom. (laughs) Although this remark wouldn't stop Terry from marrying Gabriel, she would definitely think back on it later. Uh, that is <laughs> the mom. Oh, the mom. Oh, she knew. Oh, that. Ee, ee, ooh, that sits with me weird. Oh, God, honey. Then, like, don't. <laughs> Don't let your son fucking date. I know. <laughs> I Walk get it. You can't up. control him. Just put fucking put him in a psych ward. Just do something. Yeah. Okay. I I don't know what's going on, but I could. I'm assuming he's the bad one. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see if I'm right. So about six months after they met, 27 year old Gabriel Ferris and 22 year old Terry Igaz got married. Hmm. How long had they been together at this point? They got married six months after they met. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Sorry, you probably just said I lit that. it. Yeah, yeah. I did. <laughs> sorry. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I was paying attention. I promise. I promise. Oh my god. It's okay. Oh. Um, I'm never opening my mouth again. So Terry describes her wedding day. Um, it was June 13th, 1974. She was waiting at the church for her groom to arrive. I think she was up in one of the the bride's room or whatever and she was looking out of a window and she saw him pull up on a motorcycle with his best man she said he was in a tuxedo and looked super handsome she was so excited to marry the man she loved and that she knew loved her terry said that she couldn't stop smiling on the on their wedding day she was literally just so happy oh yeah, so this is breaking my heart. Uh, she needs to be a little bit more sad on her wedding day, okay? Uh, That's all I'm asking. Um, so they get married, and the next day they head out on their honeymoon. They drive about 60, 65 miles to a cabin on Lake Huron. And I believe the cabin they went to was actually the Ferris family summer home. So uh, oh, Gabriel's parents probably you were rich you were rich and yeah because terry described it as pretty impressive and definitely super romantic for a honeymoon i mean that would definitely not if the mom said something and then i saw that summer house i'd be like um i'm just gonna ignore what you said, <laughs> <mom>, because <laughs> buy me such a nice summer house yeah because it wasn't just like a small cabin it had like three or four bedrooms it it oh, was like, in, like on the water. It was nice. Ugh. But it was cabin style, but whatever. Um, <laughs> oh, like that makes it any worse. <laughs> right. So um, they got married on the 13th. They went on to their honeymoon on the next day, which was the 14th. So that next day on June 15th, 1974, mm-hmm. which I believe was a Saturday. Yes. Um, so back in Saginaw on Saturday, the 15th, mm-hmm. Maxine Gutierrez returns home around 6 a.m. from a night of partying. And as she makes her way upstairs, she gets an eerie feeling. When she gets to the top of the stairs, she looks over into the bedroom that belonged to her roommate, 21-year-old Cheryl Miller. And all she could see through the opening of the door, it was, like, halfway opened or something. All she could see was a pair of legs on the floor. (gasps) So she calls out Cheryl's name a few times, and she doesn't get a response. And because this eerie feeling has now turned real, and basically her gut tells her to fucking run. So she runs out of the house, or I believe it was maybe an apartment or duplex type of thing. She runs out because she was scared for her own life. She runs to her neighbor's house and had them call call the police. Good girl. Damn. Oh, my God. I'm, like, cold from how hard I'm chilling yeah. right now. Like, I know. I'm fuck. chilling, too. When police arrive, they go to the upstairs bedroom and find Cheryl Miller laying on her back, kind of next to a dresser in her bedroom. She was partially clothed. She was wearing what looked kind of like a men's button-up shirt, which was unbuttoned in the front. And she had a bra, like, covering her chest, but I don't think she was actually wearing it. Oh. Um, The the episode wasn't super clear, but the way they made it seem was that it was just kind of on her, like, on top of her. Yeah. Her groin area was covered up with just surrounding, like, I don't know if it was clothing or a sheet or a blanket, but it was partially covered um, with something. I think it was Mm -hmm. maybe just whatever, it was like clothing or something. Mm -hmm. Whatever was there. Yeah. She had strangulation marks on her neck, as well as blood coming from her mouth. Um, she also just looked like she had been beat up. She had um, marks and bruises on her collarbones, um, markings and stuff on her face, scratches, bruises. So essentially just went through like the most brutal attack ever. <sighs> like, can't even what imagine. I, oh my god. 
Strangulation did end up being the cause of death, with the time of death being between 5.30 and 6 a.m. And remember, her roommate got home around 6 a.m. Oh, my God. She, oh, like, to she was probably, the person was probably still in there. Yeah, and this comes into play in, like, a few oh. seconds. Oh, the chills. Oh, my God. Oh. So, like I mentioned, um, it looked like she had been beat up. She had definitely been yeah. punched at least once in the face. She had been sexually assaulted. Um, there was bruising in her areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, this young and attractive female has been raped and strangled. And police start to gather more evidence and, you know, zero in on suspects. Mm-hmm. So some of the evidence collected were some dark colored colored hairs that were found on kind of various parts of Cheryl's body. Mm-hmm. Her hair was blonde. Um, these hairs were said to be either from the head, eyebrow, or genital areas of someone. It could have been one, either, or a few, you know. Yeah. They did lift a few sets of singer, <laughs> fingerprints off of the dresser that was next to Cheryl's body, the staircase banister, and from the bathroom. So when I say a few sets, it was three separate sets. One they found on the dresser, one was from the staircase banister, and one set was from the bathroom. Hmm. There was an eyewitness account from one of Cheryl's neighbors who lived across the street from her. And uh, he mentioned that she had many male visitors. Cheryl liked to party and have a good time. So it was said that there were usually people in and out of the house a lot in general. But Mm -hmm. this eyewitness said that, like, from his house, he could clearly see into Cheryl's bedroom. Not like he was spying, but he could just clearly see the sexual things she'd be doing with various people, I guess. Like, he apparently told investigators, like, he just, like, saw things he wouldn't really want to say out loud. <laughs> so. Okay. I was like, why are you watching then? But <laughs> it, like, maybe put some blinds up if you, know, I'm just uh, like, all right, I, the, that's fine. I mean, like, um, you don't have, you shouldn't look, but go. Okay. I'm, I guess it's relevant because it's information at least. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Ugh. Ugh. I didn't even have that last part written down about him being able to see through her window. Because at first I was like, ew, gross. It's whatever. But then I, whatever, said it. Anyways, (laughs) police start to wonder if Cheryl's attacker was interrupted by her roommate Maxine coming home. Yeah. And this theory is semi-supported, maybe, because of the time of death of Cheryl. Mm -hmm. And um, the only... So, I guess that you could say there was a sign of forced entry because one of the windows in the living room was open and had the outside screen off. Oh. And a part of the window curtain from the inside, obviously, was kind of hanging out of the window onto the outside, which suggests that the window was definitely at least the point of exit for Cheryl's attacker. Mm-hmm. Um. so that was definitely noted so it could be said that oh also sorry apparently the back door of the home the back door lock was broken and anyone who spent or hung out there a lot um, or partied there would probably know this and so they could have maybe gained entry through the back door and then escaped through the window or they could have entered through the window as well you never know but the theory is that i don't know in the show they mentioned that maxine could have arrived home through the back door which took away the attacker's point of entry exit so they heard her coming home and they left through the window in a scurry So that's just kind of a theory, and it kind of makes sense. Um, I just don't know, like, the the part about Maxine specifically arriving home in the back door, I don't know if that's something she said she did or 
if they normally arrived into the back door or what but either way there were like multiple points where this guy could have potentially gotten in but there's for sure the evidence of the broken back door lock and obviously the open window window. yeah when cheryl's parents are interviewed they give the police the name of a potential suspect cheryl had been dating a man named abbas esfahani who was a foreign exchange student at Delta College on scholarship for soccer. And this was the same college that Cheryl attended. Um, I didn't really, I haven't really said what she does or anything yet. Obviously, I will touch on it at the end. But Cheryl was a student at Delta College. And so was Habas, or Abbas, sorry. (laughs) Abbas was from Tehran... Iran or T Tehran Tehran Yeah, I'm not Iran. Good job. Yes. Cheryl had actually broken up with a boss uh, recently and she told her mom that she was afraid of him because he had a pretty bad temper. Oh shit. Cheryl's friends are obviously also interviewed. And investigators notice that Cheryl's friends Kind of seemed like they were holding back or hiding something, but they literally related it or assumed it to be drug-related because it was the 70s and, you know, it was a fin- oh. friend group that was always at the scene. Okay, and I, I do guess I, doing, I like, understand that. Drugs. But at the same time, your friend is dead. Yeah, and it literally just... Um, that's all that it pretty much seemed and played out to be mm-hmm. like in real life. So, um, you know, a lot of the friends that were interviewed mentioned how everyone in the friend group always hung out at the scene and it was the social hot spot for everyone in general. Oh my God. Many of Cheryl's That's friends crazy. and lovers were actually placed there at the scene the night before her murder, which was the 14th. Friday the 14th um, because Cheryl and her roommate were seen together partying at the scene on the 14th. June 14th. When was the marriage? The marriage was on the 13th and they went on their honeymoon on the 14th. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, go on. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, Cheryl and Maxine were hanging out at the scene partying, but Cheryl was seen... (laughs) leaving the scene before or without (laughs) Maxine. Say that times five. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck me. Um, Say that five times fast. I cannot. So investigators ask Maxine if she had any idea who could have committed these heinous acts against Cheryl She says, like, no, I really don't know who would have done this, but she does provide some names of, you know, a couple of men in Cheryl's life. Mm -hmm. She lists Abbas Esfahani and Gabriel Ferris. Cheryl Miller and Gabriel Ferris had met at the scene. Mm -hmm. Um, I assume they immediately hit it off and began a sexual relationship it doesn't really like her fur coat (laughs) right pull the same moves it didn't really specify um but remember this is also where terry worked so yeah anyway cheryl apparently really liked him right away and um you know i assume they were seeing each other for some time but then she found out he got married and she was really upset because she really liked him. Well, yeah, because she's seeing him. So in her eyes, he random like from her POV point mm-hmm. of view. <laughs> Thank you. In her point of view, he like ran off and got married. Yeah. So I don't to some like random. So, yeah. So I don't think she obviously knew about Terry and that they had been dating six months, um, yeah. and that. She, I guess, thought that her and Gabriel's relationship was maybe more serious than it was. Yeah, Gabriel's or that probably it was to just Gabriel. like, oh, I can just imagine the spit 
he is probably the shit. He's probably spitting at these girls, and it's like, yeah, no, he's probably like, you're the only one for me. So sick. Nah, 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 nah. It's like, ugh, I hate, ugh, I roll. When Gabriel Ferris is interviewed, he states that it certainly could not have been him because he was 60 miles away on uh, away on his end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. He said it exactly like that. <laughs> because he was 60 miles away on his honeymoon at the time of the crime. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Terry, Gabriel's new bride, confirms his alibi, and because of this, Gabriel is ruled out as a suspect. Mm. When investigators look into Abbas Esfahani, they feel like they literally like luck out and struck gold. Because they speak with one of his friends, and he had confirmed that Abbas was at the scene the night before Cheryl's murder, and that Abbas and Cheryl had been seen talking or communicating that night at the scene. Mm. Nobody could really tell if they were arguing or anything, but um, we do know that Cheryl had ended things with Abbas recently, um, actually like a few days before her murder. And we know that he wasn't taking it so well. Yeah. But apparently they only really went out or hung out a few or handful of times. They weren't like dating or going steady, as you'd say. Yeah. And (laughs) did a boss know about Gabriel? I don't know. It's, yeah. Maybe not. um, Probably not. Especially because, you know, a boss is this like, they're two diff, like completely different people. I assume they kind of stayed sep- like separate. Yeah, it was easy for her to keep yeah. them separated and not um, Besides integral. the scene being the common denominator here with a lot. So who knows if they knew each other, yeah. really. Maybe this place is really fucking big because Terry worked there too and apparently she didn't see... Maybe this was like a day that she was off. Yeah, it's he, like... he probably went on her off night. That's fucked up. Yeah. Oh my god. Ugh. Anyways. Knew her schedule. Ugh. Ugh. A boss's roommate also couldn't account for a boss's whereabouts at the time of Cheryl's murder. Ugh. So this sketchy. was sketchy. Mm-hmm. Investi- investigators get a tip from another Delta College student saying that a boss had left the country. <gasps> uh, uh, okay, yeah, that's a red flag. <laughs> uh, popping up everywhere are red flags. Uh, so the crime against Cheryl had happened on a Friday night, and that next Monday, a boss had gone back to Iran. Okay, I was thinking Gabriel did it, but now uh, my attention has shifted elsewhere. What the? You don't leave? Oh, my gosh. I forgot to tell you to buckle up. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? Okay. Sorry, Gabriel. You're still sketchy as fuck. Oh, okay. So now this dude. A ring-a-ding-ding. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. He left most of his personal items in the U.S., you know, such as most of his clothing. He disposed of his car. He dipped. So that Monday would have been the 17th. So Mm -hmm. the next day on June 18th, 1974, the dark hair samples collected from Cheryl's body also kind of pointed to a boss. Because it was dark colored, and a boss had dark colored hair. Mm-hmm. Investigators were focused on trying to get a hair sample of a boss's, even after him fleeing. <laughs> so international police requested hair samples and fingerprints from Iran, and they did get them. So, oh wow, uh, his hair sim- samples could not be matched to the ones found on Cheryl's body. Oh. His fingerprints did match the prints lifted from the stair banister. Oh. Yes. Uh, I don't know how to feel about that. Right. So were, did they ever find out what this hair is? Oh, yeah. Or it's we'll just like, there. now we don't know. Okay. Okay. I'm thinking I'm thinking I have a theory. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. I'll let you know. I definitely was like, what? Ooh. Okay. This is, yeah, I'm, my head's, my head's a hurt and I'm kind of regretting that hit of weed I took because <laughs> I'm trying to stay focused. Okay, let's go. Let's go. 
I'm so in. remember previously I mentioned there were three sets of prints lifted from three locations in the household. Yes. We've gotten mm-hmm. to two now. So the dresser prints were of those. Wait, I didn't say that. I didn't say that yet. Just kidding. We've gotten, we've gotten to one. The prints lifted from the stair banister belong to a boss. So they have two that are unidentified At this right point, two. So we're going to hit the next one now. Okay. The set of prints lifted from the bathroom came back as matching a Tony Alvarez. Okay, what the fuck? So um, police obviously just ask Maxine who Tony Alvarez is. And I think maybe even before they got his matching prints, they asked who, you know, may be frequent in the house. And she mentioned his name because Tony Alvarez was Maxine's cousin who would occasionally stay at Maxine and Cheryl's house. Mm-hmm. Investigators requested hair samples from Tony Alvarez. They requested head, eyebrow, and pubic hair samples. Ooh. The hair samples were a match to the ones found <gasps> on Cheryl's body. Oh, what the fuck? Okay. Oh, I was okay. Okay. All right. So uh, two people killed her. So the what? police have a new prime what? suspect. But, but, but then why would he flee the country? No. Well, but why would the other guy flee the country? I don't know. That's always going to be a loose hole in this one. I'll just say that now. Oh. Um. Maybe he thought he would because we're racist. He was like, he oh, thought I'm his fucking, I'm life brown. Is I'm brown. I'm, I'm guilty. They thought that they would. Pro- he'd probably just be incriminated and arrested. Yeah. Anyways, fucking night he of saw the man. Si- oh he God. saw the system for Ruined what it life. was, man. Yeah. Fucking night of. He ruined his life, and he didn't. God. Fucking didn't He's out here playing football. Yeah. Yeah, what the fuck? Okay. Ugh. So, uh, okay, I guess I can see why you would flee the country. I did not think about that from that kind of perspective, but... It looks sketchy okay. as fuck. <laughs> he okay, probably didn't so... think about the other, like... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, uh, I'm half white, half Mexican. I look white. My my thought process doesn't go right there. <laughs> okay, so now my eyes are on Mr. Tony Alves. Okay, Alvarez. Well, I don't give a fuck what your name is. Mr. Tony. Okay, so now he did it, in my mind. Let's see. When Tony's mm-hmm. interviewed and asked about his hairs being on Cheryl's body, he had a pretty good explanation. <laughs> okay, okay, <Sorry>. okay. <laughs> fuck me. So Let's he see. had actually previously stayed in the bedroom that cheryl was now staying in when Mm -hmm. he moved out of that bedroom she moved in okay tony was asked if he had left any belongings in the room when he moved out and he claimed that he did leave a few small personal things like some clothing random objects but specifically he did leave one shirt that was a light blue denim button-up shirt and it was the shirt she was fucking which wearing. Which was the one God Cheryl was wearing the night of it. the murder. Okay, so Tony didn't do it. Probably not. It's back to homeboy. Investigators asked Tony to do a polygraph test. Mm-hmm. Because they see the possibility of a possible DNA transfer, but they want to make sure that he's innocent. Of course. Because so, that doesn't clear you right, right away. So they... He submits and he does a polygraph test and he passes but investigators want to literally double check and so they make it i mean like i don't i don't really trust a polygraph tbh yeah and, and back then they didn't have a whole lot to go on so they wanted to oh, double check. and they did trust polygraphs a lot more yeah well mm. but still at least they wanted to double check so True. they asked him Props to do a to second them. one and he submitted again and did a second one that same day and he passed a second time Okay. So Tony Alvarez is no longer a suspect. Yeah. The fingerprints lifted from the dresser in Cheryl's bedroom belonged to none other than Gabriel Ferris. With Abbas Esfahani being out of reach and investigators really didn't have any hard-hitting evidence against him, they turned their focus back to Gabriel Ferris. So they contact Gabriel with questions to gather more information on to why his prints would be on the dresser, you know, um, basically at the crime. So this is from the investigator's account. He apparently asked 
uh, asked Gabriel if he had ever been in Cheryl's room, and Gabriel said, yeah, we made love in there. So the investigator asks, where did you make love? And Gabriel says, in the bed. So when the investigator asked why he found Gabriel's prints on the dresser, he said that he had helped move in various pieces of furniture into the bedroom for Cheryl because she had recently moved in. Mm-hmm. So it kind of made sense. Gabriel's alibi had checked out. His wife, Terry, had been interviewed twice. Um, so after this... lying for him, though. Okay. That's after fine. this, nothing comes from it. And in January 1975... The case starts to go cold. Mm. Fast forward um, about a year and a half later in the summer of 1976, Gabriel, he kind of puts himself on the radar of the Saginaw police. He starts calling the police and investigators almost daily to ask about Cheryl's murder case and to ask if they had any leads, to ask if they had solved it yet. He'd be like, Mm. what, you know, like, hey, how's it going? Have y'all solved it yet? Go take care of your wife. He showed extreme Mm. interest on the case and on uh, on the progress made by investigators. And this was a red flag to one of the current investigators so he actually met with gabriel at a local bar to not the scene to (laughs) uh kind of just retouch on some things so he described gabriel being i'm sorry the investigator described gabriel being super nervous during this meeting and when the investigator asked him about his honeymoon obviously because this was gabriel's alibi um, he wanted to retouch on things, so Gabriel gave super specific details with times and details and stuff. So, ill when you do that, like, okay, if you're trying to like get away with a murder, don't do that because no one fucking remembers that shit. Like, ugh. like you're you're trying too hard. He literally a was too like, hard. "Here's my itinerary. at eleven o'clock, June fourteenth. I made love to my wife." Then we went to bed in between somewhere midnight to 2 a.m. And a year later, you remember that? Like, no. I don't even remember what I ate for lunch. And that was two fucking hours ago. Uh Uh-huh. And when the investigator asked Gabriel if he would take a polygraph test, Gabriel absolutely refused. Mm. Which is another red red flag. Okay, so my eyes are back on him. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So, at this point, Terry Igaz is tracked down to be interviewed again, um, which was Gabriel's bride. She was pretty nervous as well, but willing. Um, So, this is when we find out that Terry is now Gabriel's (laughs) ex-wife. Could have seen that one coming, and I bet that interview is going to end up a lot more differently. Mm -hmm. God, women, (laughs) fucking stop doing (laughs) terry filed for a divorce shortly after her marriage to gabriel um i didn't get an exact date but i don't think it lasted a year so yeah um well like she probably like well she probably she did know the people at least interviewed her but i'm sure like especially after that she just like shit got sketchy because it was uh, and then, like, the warning from the mom, and then this happens. I'm like, uh, you can only ignore so But it's so crazy many. from her side of things, what, what we find out, what was going on through her mind and stuff, and what was happening on her account with Gabriel versus the things he was doing kind of behind her back. Behind her back. And it's just Ugh. insane. So. Yeah. Like, what a fucking double life, and she didn't even yeah, know exactly. she was fucking living in it. Oh, my but God. But I'll touch on that later, on how much she didn't know, so. Ugh. Police didn't know that shortly after Gabriel and Terry returned to Saginaw from their honeymoon that the marriage that Terry was so happy and excited for turned to shit. (laughs) Gabriel's not-so-nice and violent side started to show. 
So during this interview or invest or whatever meeting, Terry fills investigators in on Gabriel's true colors. He would be really rough with Terry and, you know, like I mentioned, violent. When he wanted sex, he would have it. He would get it. He seemingly got a high from having violent sex, including things such as choking. Gabriel would apparently erupt in anger with violence over anything, seemingly over nothing. One time he called Terry a slut, so she spit in his face. (laughs) Hell yeah, she did. Sorry. Yeah, but Mm. in return, he punched her and broke her jaw. What the? So after this interview with investigators, Terry, you know, she's walking out of the, the station going about her day and then she walks right back in she says that gabriel was standing around the corner outside and that she was fucking scared <gasps> oh <laughs> I, uh, I just got five degrees colder oh yeah so one of the investigators that was just you know speaking with her goes out to ask him you know what was up he literally was like what are you doing here (laughs) and gabriel says oh i just came to talk to you guys and i noticed terry was walking out what a coincidence (laughs) i'm literally hyperventilating i can't i can't i'm so glad we are doing this during the daytime i'm afraid to go out of this fucking closet right now oh my god this investigator immediately called bullshit and just like assumed he was stalking terry so he was like yeah all right okay why are you here and gabriel said that he had some names that he wanted to give police you know to help the investigation out and the investigator was like, he, he literally said in the show something verbatim to Gabriel, like, we both know they didn't do it. Referring to the names, you know, Gabriel wanted to give. But <sighs> without hard-hitting evidence and the lack of technology back then, investigators didn't have enough to arrest Gabriel with the crime. So the case goes cold again. For 20 years. Terry couldn't even say, she couldn't even validate that, like, on the honeymoon he wasn't there or whatever. We'll get there. Just Uh, a few bullet points, I promise. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. In the spring of 1994... The case comes to the desk of Saginaw detective Roy Allen Walton. And Kristen arrived into the yes. <laughs> He spends months reading through all the case files and pretty much determines that the original detectives on the case were totally on the right path in suspecting Gabriel Ferris. Oh, uh, yeah. He contacts, um, so Detective Walton contacts Der- Terry Igaz once again um, I say once again because, you know, it's her, she's been contacted multiple times, but it's his first time contacting her as the new, like, detective on the case. Detective. So, mm-hmm. um, looking back on her statements and everything, he knew that she was always nervous coming in to speak with police and detectives. So this go around, he contacts her hoping that she would be less fearful of Gabriel this go around because it has been 20 years. Yeah. Um, but when Terry was first contacted by Detective Walton, she didn't want to speak with him. Like, she, like, hung up and shit. Damn. She was still very fearful of Gabriel and this whole situation. That is so insane. 20 years this woman has, oh my god, had to live yeah. with that. She does ultimately agree to meet with Detective Walton because he did let her know, like, he's only trying to help. He's not out to uh, hurt her or get her. Like, he literally just wants to help because at the end of the day, someone was murdered. So, yeah. um, when 
Terry meets with Detective Walton, she was shown the original transcript of Gabriel's statement to investigators from 20 years ago. And Mm -hmm. this is when Terry finds out that her husband wasn't only a violent asshole, but a liar and a cheat as well. She didn't know that he was cheating on her? (gasps) In Gabriel's statement, he revealed that he had never been faithful to Terry. Oh, son of a bitch. She literally found out all of this dirt literally from his statement. She only, and she finds out so much more. Oh my God. So he was not only having an affair with Cheryl, but like three or four other women. Terry literally believed and thought that he was faithful to her throughout like their relationship not only dating and the fucking 20 years that they were divorced oh my god the like glass shattering reality Yeah, because even when they were divorced she thought he was just an angry violent asshole he she didn't know he was a cheater oh my god yeah that that's a fucking stab Ooh, ooh, she's ready to spill it she's ready to fucking spill it spill it terry spill it Gabriel also reveals that his marriage to Terry never meant anything to him. Apparently, he literally flipped a coin to see whether he (gasps) would marry Cheryl or Terry. We know which one he married, and we know what happened to the other one. I've never hated someone so much in my fucking life. (laughs) Kristen's about to explode, (laughs) y'all. that's fine no no it's not fine i'm oh my god oh my god so terry was absolutely blindsided and shocked by all of this information coming out (sighs) thank god she got out when she did because god God. she would have ended up dead i mean for sure so a thousand percent even 20 years later it was still so hard for her to kind of open up to detective walton because she said that from day one gabriel told and threatened terry that if that he'd kill her if she ever did anything to him meaning like act against him or you know like anything like that so she from day one was just had that writing on her So, and she also mentioned that he constantly reminded her of that. He constantly reminded her that he'd kill her if she ever did anything, you know, under that, his list of whatever that means. So, dude, but this go around, she did take the risk and she shared her side of what happened during her and Gabriel's honeymoon. So... The morning of the 15th, in the early morning, Terry is asleep and Gabriel arrives home from somewhere. He comes into the bedroom, turns on the light, the I think the like bedside table lamp he turns on. He starts taking off his shirt. Terry wakes up because of this and she notices blood on Gabriel's shirt. Uh-huh. She asks him how he got the blood on his clothes, and he claimed that he hit a rabbit with the car, and he had to pull it out of from under the wheel well. So, Terry also said that Gabriel seemed kind of wired, and she had a little voice in her head that told her, like, to not ask any more questions, to just kind of go back to sleep. So, that's what she did. The next morning, Gabriel and Terry were hanging out, I guess just watching TV, because a news report comes on from back home in Saginaw, (gasps) and it's a report of the death and murder of Cheryl Miller. Gabriel gets up off of the couch and stands super close to the TV. He starts crying and putting his, he puts his hands on the television He tells Terry that Cheryl was his last girlfriend that he dated before he started dating Terry. He apparently then says something like, to Terry, says, 
do you think I should go back to Saginaw to help the police? And Terry was like, no, we're on our honeymoon. Let the police do their jobs. What the fuck? So revealing all of this to investigators, you know, Terry's story reveals that Gabriel's alibi is not as solid as it once seemed. Mm-hmm. But revealing all of the... <laughs> Sorry, I have a horse laying next to me. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> we'll post a photo. <laughs> revealing all of this also puts Terry at risk because she's still super scared of Gabriel and scared for her life and just scared of what possible repercussions could have from her opening her mouth. So... Um, Around the same time, investigators speak with another woman from Gabriel's past, from, you know, around the same timeline, I guess, and Mm -hmm. she told them of an instance where her and Gabriel were arguing, and he told her, if you don't shut up, you're going to end up like Cheryl. Oh my fucking god. This woman... Where... Where was the police report from? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) well see this woman was so scared of gabriel that after that instance she literally moved to another state and stayed there fuck me this just shows how scary this dude is (sighs) also around this time in the investigation a friend of gabriel's comes forward um He seemingly wanted to kind of clear his conscience because he tells detectives that two years after Cheryl's murder in 1976, him and Gabriel were smoking pot in a car, I think, you know, with a few other people as well. And the higher Gabriel got, the more he talked about Cheryl's murder. Gabriel was sitting behind the driver's seat during this, and he apparently then reached forward and started choking the person in the driver's seat saying i didn't mean to kill her i didn't mean to kill her oh i think this was like a little lash out situation like he didn't actually kill the person in the driver's seat he was just like having a moment no oh my god yeah so there's that i would never oh my god no i can't so here we are Mm. you know 20 years later and gabriel is the prime suspect again And with this new information from Terry, they pretty much gather that Gabriel went to go see Cheryl for, like, one last shebang, or maybe not even for one last. Like, just going to fucking be a stupid-ass fucking asshole human male and to go see her on his own honeymoon weekend. Like, he probably got off on that fucking sick shit, so... Regardless of if, if it was for one last shebang or for just going to see her, he did this on his fucking honeymoon. And um, we and investigators kind of assume that she rejected him because he had just gotten married. And she was upset that he got married. And I think maybe she was wanting to be respectful and didn't want to continue the affair. And yeah. so... This caused altercation and caused for Gabriel to basically erupt. This idiot thought that he could have a girlfriend and a wife or girlfriends and a wife. And when he got rejected, his ego was so large that he thought he could just fucking murder this woman and act like nothing happened. Oh my fucking god, fucking lowest of low. So, more than 20 years after Cheryl's murder, Gabriel is arrested in the winter of 1996. Fucking fine. At least it happened, but wow, the 20 years it took. Yeah. 46-year-old Gabriel Ferris goes to trial on felony murder charges. During the trial, he gave off a cocky and confident persona. Apparently, he'd sit there and just make and crack jokes with his attorneys. Ew. He pled not guilty with the argument that his prints were only in Cheryl's room because of their affa- their affair and that anyone could have committed the crime. The evidence submitted in the trial was mostly testimonies from Terry Igaz, which were super crucial 
but also testimonies of friends of Gabriel's that, you know, he had made those confessions to and statements to. Mm -hmm. Um, There wasn't a whole lot of physical evidence against Gabriel. And so it was was kind of, like, tense. Cheryl's mother was at the trial, and her and Terry actually met. And... um, Apparently, Cheryl's mom told Terry that she loved her, and that was basically Terry's motivation to try and present the most earnest testimony she could to try and send Mm. Gabriel to jail. Yeah. She was nervous, of course, but she didn't want to let down Cheryl or Cheryl's mother. So, there is some mixed information on the actual trial situation, because apparently there were a few trials... Mm-hmm. But I, I'm pretty sure during the first one the jury deliberates and deliberates and they're hung. Um, but then in 2004, Gabriel is tried again for the final time, and I think this is like the third maybe time. Oh shit! Um, I I don't know if he was literally. I don't know if he went to trial two or three times. I read yeah. kind of like evidence pointing. To three, because he submitted, like, some kind of petition that he got a mistrial the first time, and they granted it, but then it ended up having the same results. And so, basically, ultimately, in 2004, Gabriel is tried and found guilty and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Okay, good. So... Whatever happened during his trial bullshit, it ended with with some good fucking shit. Yeah. Oh, a rotten life. And that's, that's we where want. we're going to end it with that asshole. So I will end on uh, Cheryl Miller and a little bit about her. Mm-hmm. She was 21 years old and had lady blonde hair. She was athletic, a student at Delta College, and she did well in her academics She was taking art classes, and she worked at a bakery. Mm -hmm. She trusted easily, had a fun-loving nature, was friendly, generous, well-liked, and popular. She even apparently owned a motorbike. And Cheryl's aunt describes her as a shining star. So, I also named this episode Love is Blind because in the show or episode I watched, Terry Igaz says that at the end about her love for Gabriel that love is blind. So, Mm -hmm. she just, you know, was so in love with him at first. She just didn't see his true colors and shit. So, damn. Love can definitely be blind. I've been there. Yes, I have too. It it's hard, but you find someone around you, family, friend that can help you get through yeah. it. Fucking reach out to this podcast. I don't care. It's just you gotta find some kind of strength because it. I know it never seems like it's going to get better, but trust me, once you get out of that situation, like that's when the healing starts, and that's when you start to feel more like yourself. And yeah. It's a good feeling, so. Yeah. 10 out of 10 recommend. Wow, the twist and turns that that one took. I know. So, I, I, I don't really know whatever happened with Abbas. <laughs> I, it's kind of crazy that they just kind of, like, let him go, even though he was kind of, like, the suspect of a murder case. But Honestly, um, good for him, though, because... He probably would have fucking gotten They probably, uh, let's be oh. honest, yeah, he probably would have been fucking tried and found because guilty for it. It's... with Gabriel Ferris, he had such, like, that controlling ego where it was obvious to him that he felt like he was getting away with murder and, like, he was never yeah, going to well, get he, caught. So, he already got away with 20 years. Yeah. Like, he was like, why not the rest of my life? Let's be honest. Yeah. Ugh. So that wow. shit is fucked, but he got caught, I'm... and he looked like a nasty, nasty, you know, as he aged in jail, we'll post photos of, obviously, um, Terry, Gabriel, Cheryl, well, yeah, that was, uh, 
not the turn I was expecting to take, but oh my god, I'm uh yeah, we took a good one. That was a good turn. That was a good story. Great job. Thank you. Fuck. Still a little scared, but <laughs> it's okay. I'll I'll get through it. But yeah, guys, fuck. Make sure you always tell friends if I ever go missing, this person fucking did it. Works every time. Yeah, or even literally write it on a piece of paper and hide it somewhere in your bedroom. Yeah. Fucking like, oh man, just. Because there's another fucking show on Hulu that I want to start watching. And it's, I forgot what the title is. It's like, if something happens, dot, dot, dot. And it's a show, oh. it's a series on every episode is about some someone who gets murdered or something happens to them, but they kept a diary or of some sort. And in their diary, it revealed basically major clues and information on who their killer was. Damn, so, yeah. Always an interesting topic. It's not you topic. being paranoid, it's you solving your own case. Hell so. yeah. Fuck, dude. Well, shit. Until next time, guys. Fucking follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. I think that's Good it. Good pods. Good pods, yes. Thank you. At R-A-R-W podcast. Hills, yeah. And until next time, guys. Cheers to me needing a fucking emergency therapy session after this case. Cheers to appreciating my genuine marriage <laughs> yeah that's a good one yeah oh Jesus, calling... it's so scary when you hear like of people living such double lives you're like holy shit like people just are out here doing that you know for reals yeah catch me staying single forever after this one so yeah bye, bye.